goblins and wild dogs Come at the grand light making a slam The smell of death is on the rail And at night when the cold wind blows No one cares, nobody knows Hello, my name is Chris My name is Kelsey And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are, and it's week number two of our year in review for 2021. This week, it's the positive one. Let's kick off 2022 with a positive look back at the movies we watched in 2021 with our top 10 list of the movies we covered on this show last year that also includes my personal top 10, Kelsey's personal top 10, and... The times where we differed with the critics the most. Usually that's because we rank things higher than they do. Usually. We'll see if it actually pans out that way. Mm. Let's move right into our list with number 10, 2009's Coraline. Coraline. Which has a 90 on Rotten Tomatoes, 86. You gave it, I gave it a 90 for an average of 88. Making up a song about Coraline. <laughs> something, something she's a friend of mine. Yep. Making up a song about Coraline. She's a peach, she's a doll, she's a pal of mine. She's as cute as a button in the eyes of everyone who ever laid their eyes on Coraline. When she comes around exploring mom and I will never ever make it boring, our eyes will be absolutely love Coraline. It could have been a little bit better, but I really liked it. What do you think of Coraline in relation to other like affair? Give me an example. Paranorman, which we've covered on this show. I'm sure I gave Paranorman a higher score than I gave Coraline. Paranorman, you gave an 83 and I gave an 89. So you actually gave this one a higher score. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. I think, yeah, I think they're both really good. I really like both of them. I think creepy stop motion wouldn't really have been a thing if it wasn't for a movie that we ranked even higher on our list. I know what that is. Uh-huh. I think everyone knows what that is. But I think all of the ones that we've seen like that. We love. We, we've really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Paranorman, Coraline, Monster House. Most kid horror is really great. I I just love it. Yeah, it's pretty good. And yeah, all the ones you just mentioned are within the last 20 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But. The one that started it is not. Yes. But that's not the first stop motion horror movie. In fact, I wish it wasn't a short. We could do uh, Vincent, but it is a short. Or the one that is stop motion, but in all the wrong ways, Frankenweenie, which, because we are bigger fans of the original mm-hmm. short, which is live action, mm-hmm. with Daniel Stern. <laughs> <laughs> and then they ended up making a stop motion movie out of it because... Because it's Tim Burton. Tim Burton is, might as well be a dead horse that his production companies beat. But anyway, back to Coraline. Yes. Liked it a lot. I love the colors. I love the fun. I mean, you know, 
stop motion is always so fun and the way that they're creative with it is always so unique. Yeah, I mean, it's also written by Neil Gaiman, which I appreciate. It was directed by Henry Selleck, who also wrote the script, who directed the other stop motion movie we have on our list a little bit higher up. Uh, So, I mean, it's kind of guaranteed for us to enjoy it, I think. And it really lived up to the hype, I would say. I think it. The only reason it struggled with me is because I was a fan of the book. Sure, but that's not not something that's against the movie so much as it is, you know, it's using that same story, right? Like, it just couldn't live up to your expectations. Mm -hmm. But still, it's still good enough to be number 10 on our list. So let's hear what we had to say about 2009's Coraline. Coraline Jones always dreamed of finding a better world, but never imagined it would be in her own home. We've been waiting for you, Coraline. A place so perfect. I love your garden! It can't be real. (laughs) You probably think this world is a dream come true, but you're wrong. You're in terrible danger. From the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas. She's got this whole world where everything's better, but it's all a trap. How dare you disobey your mother? You aren't my mother. Coraline, rated PG. Should people watch Coraline? Yes, I think so. But I also recommend reading the book because I read the book way before I saw the movie. And I I think there is a lot to like here, but I think that there are parts of the book that are missing that you need to read. Okay. There's new stuff added in, like YV is not a character in the in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. You should watch this. It's gorgeous and it's legitimately fucking creepy. So the book's creepier. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, totally watch this movie. What do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I know. Yeah, because depending on where we watch it, they really front the Rotten Tomatoes score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is one of them. We watched it on uh, iTunes. So what is it, Kelsey? It's a 90. It is a 90. With its vivid stop motion animation combined with Neil Gaiman's imaginative story, Coraline is a film that's both visually stunning and wondrously entertaining. It even has a Metacritic, a Metacritic of 80, which is insane. Mm-hmm. It's very good. It's really fucking good. Here's the question for you, Kelsey. Do you think it's better than Paranorman? Because I can tell you what you gave Paranorman. I think Paranorman is more entertaining. You gave Paranorman an 83. I gave it an 89. It's Rotten Tomatoes was 89 at the time. I think Paranorman is more entertaining, but I think Coraline is more... Fulfilling, maybe? Whimsical and fun and uh interesting to look at. Fascinating. Yes. Sure. So I'm going to give it an 86. I am really, really tempted to just agree and give this one a 90. Coming in at number nine, 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which had an 89 Rotten Tomatoes. You gave it an 88. I gave it an 89. It's 88 and a half combined score. What do you think about? Texas Chainsaw Massacre, having finally seen it. I am not surprised at all that it is on our top 10 list. It's very good. I was very afraid of seeing it, and I'm glad that I've seen it now. I still don't love getting close-ups of his face. Uh Uh-huh. But I really thought it was a good horror movie. I I thought it was 
very scary, like eerie feeling and mm-hmm. you know it had this whole grindhouse feel to it and really well shot for like that's what you have going for you i think if you're an independent film uh especially if you're a horror that's a great way to stand out is if it's well shot mm-hmm. and and this really really was well, it's just like dude just stop going into somebody's house that you don't know <laughs> fair enough fair enough well, let's hear what we had to say at the time about 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What happened was true. The most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. Rated R. Should people watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yes, but it is very scary. So be aware. Yeah, we've told the story in the past that I had only seen the original and Kelsey had only seen the remake. Can you tell us about just a little bit? We'll talk more about it when we get to that, but... Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with the remake? Well, I understand why at 16 it scared me as much as it did. Uh It does not have that effect at all anymore. And even, like, I don't have the visceral fear anymore that I used to have, you know? Where, like, I couldn't function. Like, it was legitimate horror, like, in a video game, you know, where you're on edge and you can't do certain things. Like... That's legitimately what my fear used to be. That's the intensity I used to get from films. I don't reach that intensity anymore. It just does not happen. Chucky is the only thing that gets close to that. I mean, if we talk about that, there's like sort of a hierarchy of those in your life. Yes. Chucky is at the very top. Yes. Leatherface is probably at the very bottom of that list. Uh, It's pretty... Leprechaun, Gremlins. Yeah, well, Leatherface was on that list for sure. Uh I did not like him, and I don't... I I like him even less now. Um, (laughs) And it's because of the first film, and I mean, I knew. I knew going into it. Like I said before, guys... There are so many video essays that I have watched over the years that have used so many clips from this film. Sort of desensitized you? No, actually, it it just reinforced, I don't want to see this. Uh Uh-huh. Over and over and over again, it reinforced, I do not want to see this. It's going to be filled with imagery that is not going to be pleasant for me and is going to be... will have repercussions. And it wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's still very unpleasant. I do not like uh, the close-up shot. I hate it of him wearing the mask. The mask. Yeah, that is imprinted on my brain. Uh huh. And I wish it wasn't. <laughs> and it's sort of a popular thing to talk about when you talk about this original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is that it's not as gory as you think it's going to be. It's just a lot of implied violence and And the implication of what happens to these kids is pretty intense. And that's generally more scary Mm -hmm. for me. I know for some it's not. I know for some you have to see it or it's not scary to you. For me, it is usually more scary if it is implied. And usually when I'm just, when it's just gore, I I just get, this is a movie. This is actually really, really early on in this sort of slasher genre era. You know, it's before 
all the major slashers that we know of from the 80s, you know, and there were slashers in the 70s, Black Christmas. This is before all of that. I don't, I mean, would you call, this is, this is probably a slasher, but I guess the genre didn't really exist that much yet. It's odd because it does have all of the makings of a slasher, Uh and yet I would not place it in that category because a slasher, I guess, slashers are more fun. Sure. Slashers are more about the creativity of the kills. This is more like, no, I want to legitimately terrorize you. uh I want you to be feeling the terror that these people are feeling. Whereas when you watch like a Halloween or a Friday the 13th, it's more about the creativity. Right. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Because, I mean, this is the 70s, 1974. This is an era where kind of they didn't know necessarily what to call this slash the slasher subgenre didn't really exist yet this is more classified popularly as an exploitation horror exactly and black christmas i think walks that catwalk but uh-huh. it makes the slasher genre because it even more so has the like the the fun core fun yeah uh-huh and this is not fun. But no, like this whatsoever. is not fun at all. Black Christmas walks the line because it's still scary because the, the killer is legitimately uh-huh. scary in it. And the idea of the co-eds being offed, you know, in the 70s still had that exploitation feel a little bit. But yeah. But it just didn't quite get into the just sheer terror uh-huh. zone that Texas Chainsaw Massacre wants to take you to. Mm-hmm. And I respect it for that. Also famously a indie success story because it was made for practically nothing. And, you know, it has that really gritty sort of real, like it, like we're actually, people say it has a documentary feel, not because like it has the structure of a documentary. It's filmed in such a way where it's like, this is really happening. And there is no sort of cinema glean on it. You know, it's just raw and grounded, which I think affects its impact quite a bit. And for me, it's one of the few factors that helps separate me. I know it sounds weird. What do you mean separate you? From it. Like, because it's so saturated, Uh it doesn't seem real to me. Oh, so that's the exact opposite for me. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I feel like the remake does that a lot more. You know, where it just feels like a movie and that lessens the impact for me. Mm. Anything else to say about this movie, Kelsey? Just that it's very scary. Yeah. Really good. It is good. Really basic. It's short. It's 120 something minutes. Yeah. If it were longer, it would be a problem. Yeah. It it just goes. You're just in it. It never stops. Uh Uh-huh. That is a good thing about it. Yeah. That is what horror movies, for me, need to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I absolutely see the uh, the benefit for that. Me as the one who's known for liking patient movies. I like this movies one that just very patient. Jump and just go. Goes. Yeah, uh-huh. and there's no filler. I love that. All killer, no that. filler. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, I'm sure it's probably like a 97, 89. Oh shit. Thanks to a smart script and documentary-style camera work, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre achieves start-to-finish suspense, making it a classic in low-budget exploitation cinema. Agreed. A Metacritic still as high as 78, which is pretty rare for Metacritic ratings for movies. Obviously no cinema score because they weren't going to every movie back then. (laughs) 
As a matter of fact, I think they were they started in the 70s sometime. Anyway, <laughs> do you think that's overrated or underrated? It's very close to what I'm going to give it. What are you going to give it? I'm going to give it an 88. I will go... Oh, God, this is a tough one. <sighs> I think 89. I think 89 is good. It's not quite at the 90 range for me, but Look, it's really fucking close. It's well shot. The, the cinematography is incredible. It's one of the best parts of the movie. But it doesn't necessarily, nothing about it brings it up to that 90 scale, you know, nothing, even though for the time it was very shocking, you know, and like at the time it was groundbreaking mm-hmm. and I, I respect it for that and that does bump it up a little bit. On the grand spectrum of things, I don't think it necessarily does anything that other movies haven't done slightly better. Do you know Yeah. what I mean? But I will give it this. It is extremely effective. It is scary. It is unpleasant. It is on the edge of your seat. It's fast. And yeah, so it definitely, it's very, very close. It's. It feels to me like it's everything that torture porn could be, but that they're incapable of restraining themselves in order to be. Agreed. We have a tie for number seven. The first one we'll talk about since it's Older, I guess. <laughs> uh, 1931's Frankenstein, which has, of course, a Rotten Tomatoes of 100. Uh, maybe a little bit of rose-tinted glasses. It's not a... I I mean, a hundred? Yeah, it is certainly not a hundred. <laughs> but really, who's going to say something bad about Frankenstein? That's what Rotten Tomatoes is, right? Right. Our True. ratings is not... That's not what it is. Mm-hmm. So... You gave it an 88, I gave it a 92. For an average of 90, we are officially in the 90s. What would you say about Frankenstein? It's, you know, classic, and we owe a lot to it, and it has a lot to... It has affected our culture Mm -hmm. so much. Like, it's really important. And, you know... It's alive! It's alive! It really is a great moment. Uh And he... What's his name does an excellent job, Boris Karloff. But it has a it has problems. All of a sudden, the villagers just know that he murdered a little girl, and you're Uh like, "All right, but it's good." Otherwise, right? She was alone when she was thrown into that river. How would they have known that he did anything? Well, they know they know someone murdered her Uh because she wouldn't have drowned otherwise is exactly what happened all he did was throw her into the water so it's not like there would be marks on her or something yeah but yeah now we're getting too much into the weeds it's not a perfect movie and that's that's more what our rate it's not exactly but it's more of what our ratings represent as opposed to rotten tomatoes which is the percentage of professional reviews that had positive things to say and of course 100 percent of those are going to be positive i would also remark that it as well as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just surprisingly well shot. There were a lot of moments that really surprised me (laughs) for a movie that was filmed in 1931. You were surprised they had vision back then, honey? No, that they had developed the visual language so early. There's a lot of things that they did that I wouldn't expect to see in a movie until like at least 30 years later. So it's just fascinating to see that, no, they were doing some pretty awesome stuff. And I'm glad really finally to have seen Frankenstein. It was a big blind spot. Mm -hmm. We know a lot about Frankenstein as it seeps into the zeitgeist, but we had never actually watched the movie. Mm -hmm. So 
Like I had seen Robert De Niro's Frankenstein before I had seen this one, right? Like I saw that in the 90s. So I have not seen that movie. It's closer to the novel. Putting on the reds. Well, let's hear what we had to say at the time about 1931's Frankenstein. When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men, to shock women into uncontrolled hysteria, to prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about, the spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that! Should people watch 1931's Frankenstein? Yeah, I think that everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I think that everybody should see it. Yes, it's a classic. It's good. It's not great, but it's, it's good. It's minimal commitment, and, and it's important to the history of horror. I would say it is surprisingly well directed for a movie in 1931. There are some incredible moments and some really great shots. So. Whoever the director of photography is on that, I didn't look him up, also did a great job. But yeah, I mean, come on. I had never seen this movie until now. I had never seen it in its entirety, no. So I'm recommending, yes, you you should, having seen it now, I'm glad that I finally have seen it. You know, because it's it, it's filling in the gaps, you know, I have this gigantic backlog. We watch so many horror movies and there are some glaring gaps in, in our knowledge. And this is, this was one of them. Uh, so I'm glad to have finally seen it. And I think everyone else should too. I like that. It's complicated. I like that. You don't just, you're not just like, Oh, but he was such a good monster. Like, no, he'd, he'd kill people. You know, he had reason to. Uh-huh. And I get that. And I like that, you know, that that means that he's not just a monster. I like that you're torn about how you feel about him. It's a fun, light, airy movie, which is weird because it's yeah. such dark, serious subject matter. Uh-huh. And that's probably the, the movie's biggest misstep. It does miss some of the key elements that I think Shelley wanted us to get from her novel. Uh-huh. Uh, but as a horror movie, if you just take out what you were supposed to have learned by the end of it, this is good. Yes, totally. Yeah, this is a very Hollywood interpretation of a novel that's saying something. And <laughs> yes. then they take this and they twist it to say something a little bit different and miss some key elements. You're absolutely right. But it is iconic, and I feel like it's iconic for a reason. Do you know how many fucking horror movies were coming out around this time? Do you know how many movies freaking Boris Karloff was in <laughs> as a villain? <laughs> you know, like, there's just tons and tons of horror movies coming out around this time. Just, they don't have any substance, except for a lot of these ones that we recognize as being, like, iconic. The universal, the dark universe of... Frankenstein, The Wolfman, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which we haven't watched on the show, but we've watched before. Like, those underwater shots are really compelling stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, these are actually quality movies. There's a reason why 
they persist to this day and a lot of these other movies nobody's ever even heard of. Mm-hmm. It's not just random. Agreed. Or just marketing. It's a quality film. It is. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to guess it's very high. I'm going to say 94. 100. There you go. Still unnerving to this day, Frankenstein adroitly explores the fine line between genius and madness and features Boris Karloff's legendary, frightening performance as the monster, a Metacritic, so average score, of 91. Frightening performance as the monster? I feel like they missed the point. He gives great looks. He does. When he's walking towards the camera, I can see why audiences back in the 30s would have been scared. But he's also really compelling. He's got a softness to him. He's got a sense of wonder, of beauty. He's like the fucking elephant man. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a little bit, yes. From the new one, guys. I did not come up with that. Yeah, uh, somebody says that. And then proceeds to beat the guy. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that movie. There is a beauty, like I say, to him. And to just wrap it all up by saying, oh, man, Boris Karloff did a great job making him scary. I don't think that's Karloff's achievement here. Karloff's achievement is making him something you can feel compassion for. I think he did both. Yeah, totally. It's just weird to just, you know, write it all up as Karloff scary, you know. Anyway, overrated or underrated? I'm not going to give it a hundred. No. Because, like I said, I think they missed some of the points. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's a huge issue for me as an English teacher. And there are things that take you out of the experience, like the wrinkly backdrop and yes. other such things. Yes. yes, absolutely. And just, why is Fritz, why is no one being left? Fritz, get the fuck out! Yeah, I know, right? But, hey, we created Fritz, too. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I'm going to give it an 88. An 88. Not not enough to get into the 90s for you, huh? You missed some details. <laughs> I will go into the 90s. I just don't know where into the 90s. Low 90s. Do I go as high as 92? Do I dare? <laughs> I can do a 92. And our average will be 90. I think that's fair. I can't. I can't. You guys were like, we're just gonna ignore certain things. It's like, uh, that was really important to the story. So no. Yeah, I don't blame you. Before we move on to our other number seven on the list, let's talk about the biggest differences between us and the critics. Okay. Starting with number 10, Repo the Genetic Opera which had a 40 Rotten Tomatoes score. You gave it a 77, I gave it a 74. That is way too low. We had a lot of bad things to say about Repo the Genetic Opera, but 40 is way too low. Yeah, that is far too low. That is rude. Here's one that's going to piss you off. 1998's The Faculty coming in at number nine. Okay. Rotten Tomatoes score. This is not my fault. I tried to stop it from happening and you wouldn't let me. Well, it was just so fascinating to me. And plus, I felt like I was talking you down. And I didn't want to do that. 52 Rotten Tomatoes score. Of course, you gave it a 98, which we talked about in our last. Because it's one of the biggest differences between Kelsey and I. I gave it an 82. I still really enjoyed it. That's our average of 90. Would you like to know what I would have given it if you had let me In retrospect? It? You would change all these ratings in retrospect. 
fine. I won't tell you. What would you give it today? Nope, not give tell you. Okay, now. all right. <laughs> uh, that's a thirty-eight point difference between us and the critics. Ah! Only half of critics would say that they overall feel positive about the movie. Ah! I know. That's ridiculous. That is insane. It's ridiculous. It is so much fun. There like, are it is bad just, late it is, 90s horror movies, and this is not one of them. Right. And, like, it, it's so well-paced. Like, there's never a chance to, like, slow down and be like, oh, my God, this is really lame. Like, they just, they keep it going. Uh-huh. They keep the momentum going. And it didn't hurt that maybe, Josh Hartnett Maybe was you in had it. to be a teenager <laughs> at that time, and you had to be in love with Josh Hartnett. I don't know. But I have a great time every time I watch it, and I am shocked and surprised at Elijah Wood's performance every time, because mm. now I know him so much better as the Hobbit. He's not the Hobbit. He's a Hobbit. He's not the Hobbit. You are the coming. Hobbit is his uncle. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's from Lord of the Rings. Oh, the Hobbit. It doesn't matter. Number eight, 2004 is The Chronicles of Riddick. Rotten Tomatoes of 29. You gave it a 69. I gave it a 70. It's not the best movie in the world. But that is but absurd. A 29? That is absurd. Like, okay, it's not as good as I remembered it being, but it's still pretty decent. This is pretty close to exactly what we got here with Chronicles of Riddick. But number seven, 1997's Event Horizon, which has a Rotten Tomatoes of 28. You gave it a 70. I gave it a 71. Okay. But, like, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. I see both sides of the argument on that one. Fine. Uh, Number six, 1982's Amityville 2, The Possession, which had a 16. And, you know... Well, especially when you've seen the other one. Oh, yeah. When you've seen other Amityville movies... This one seems pretty great. Yeah, that this might be the second best Amityville movie. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know. We haven't seen them all. Who knows? Who knows? But it had a 16 on Rotten Tomatoes. We both gave it 60. I'm hoping that at least some of them are at least fun. Yeah, that's me too. Uh, Number five, 2013's Insidious Chapter 2, which remarkably has a Rotten Tomatoes of 39. 39? 39. Like, I can understand... If it's not your thing, but to actively dislike it and for 61% of reviewers to actively dislike it is bonkers. Yes, agreed. You gave it an 85. I gave it an 85. We love Insidious and Insidious 2. Number four, 1989's Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, which didn't take a lot on our part to make us very, very, very different from the <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes score of 12. Oh, my. What did we give it? You gave it a 63 and I gave it a 60. Wow. We're I feel like. Better. Oh, because it's the one with the little girl. I like that one. You know what? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying I think people think that the Halloween quality drop off happens 
sooner than it does. It happens like two or three times where there's like kind of steps down. It doesn't <laughs> just all fall off mm-hmm. like potentially Amityville does. But like there's the first one, right? Uh-huh. And then the second one's just kind of the first one again, but not as good. The second one sucks. And then there's a the third one. Which is just bizarre. Which is bizarre. I'll give you that. And then, like, the fourth and the fifth. Fourth and, and it, five. Four and five six. are fine. It's six where it really goes six downhill. Six is where it just drops And then off. after six, it's six movies in. After six, then you get, like, the, oh, these are the modern Halloween movies of the late 90s. And, you know, you got H2O and Resurrection. Okay, but I'm and, kind of excited to see Josh Hartnett. Is, yeah. <laughs> Topic of discussion today is Josh Hart. Uh, Coming in at number three is 2015's Frankenstein, which you and I gave 50 to. And the Rotten Tomatoes score is 100, and we could not believe it. That's an actual Rotten Tomatoes score. Of how many people? I don't know. I don't have that data here. I only keep Is it like two people? No, there needs to be enough for it to... I know, I'm to joking, rank. but that's stupid. Yeah, that, that's really bad. Like, there's no reason. Ugh. I mean, we walked away with a 50, and like you can see, we're pretty fucking generous. <laughs> so, like, even we were split on this 50 yeah. points, right? Wasn't so, great. And trust me, that sucked. That was a good we cast. We really wanted it to be good. I was really bummed. It was a very good cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two... 1984's Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter. Do you remember which one that is? Yeah, I know exactly which one that is. Which one is that? That's the one with Corey. Is that the final chapter? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Because it's certainly not the final chapter. It's not. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes of 20, you gave it a 72, and I gave it a 70. Yeah, fuck that. I- 20? They didn't know how good they had it in yeah. 1984. <laughs> Yeah, because that's another series that's about to go downhill. Uh huh. <laughs> I don't remember if the next one's any good, but it's almost about to go downhill. And the number one biggest difference, it would still be pretty big even if we went by the audience score, but the Rotten Tomatoes score was zero for 2002's Hellraiser Hellseeker, which you gave a 65 and I gave a 68. 2002. I'm sorry, what? I gave a what to that movie? 65. Garbage pile, I gave 65. I think you're thinking of the wrong one. This is the one. I'm pretty sure I'm not. This is the one that, like, I'm trying to remember how we discussed it. Two is the one where they go to hell and it's crazy and it's great. Yes. But I seem to remember... The new one being really fucking bad. Isn't that the one where the guy's, like, in his office in, like, the cubicles and then suddenly he's fucking his boss and then his boss is like, you're on candid camera. Yes. Isn't that that movie? That's why we gave it in the that 60s. That movie is terrible. It's not, Kelsey. I think you're remembering it wrong. You gave it. You gave it. A 65. And that... Is before I ever said mine, so I didn't influence you. Well, I certainly don't know why. You remember it negatively. Which because I remember 
him being in his office. I think there was some pretty cool stuff about it. I think that's why it was. I think there was some cool, like maybe it shouldn't have been a Hellraiser movie or something like that. There was and some the complaint about end, it we had. At the very end, he's like, you find out that he was killing them all because he had a deal with the with the people. I do not understand why I gave it that score. Well, I guess you'll just have to listen to episode 172 to find out way back like a year ago. It was like in February or something. Hellraiser. Hellraiser. All right. Back to the actual list. Tied for number seven. We've already sort of talked about it. 1998's The Faculty. The Faculty is so much fun. Even with your 98, it was still number seven. I love it. (laughs) I absolutely love the cast and I love, like I said, it just, it knew it how to pay. It knew that it didn't have a great movie. So what did it do? It, it was kept, fun. It kept everything fun and lighthearted and it kept going. Mm-hmm. It never slowed down. Like, like a horror movie shouldn't. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what kind of horror movie you're talking about. I love a slow boil. You know I love a patient camera. <laughs> anyway, I just, it, I saw it at the perfect time. Yeah. Let's hear what we had to say at the time about 1998's The Faculty. So aliens have just been setting us up over the years with their E.T. and our Men in Black movies just so that nobody would believe it if it really happened. These students are starting to suspect their teachers are from another planet. Sit down! They're asking me. Guess what? Now we're gonna have some fun. They're right. Aliens are taking over the school. But we can stop it. The faculty. This is weird. Rated R in theaters everywhere Friday, December 20th. Should people watch the faculty, Kelsey? Yes. Of course Kelsey's gonna tell you yes. Love this movie. Love it. Love Josh Hartnett. I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, so I might have a little bit more unbiased opinion about it, but it still did come out when I was in high school, so it, like, you know, it evokes an era that is very nostalgic for me. So there is that. There's some bias there, too. But yeah, you should watch The Faculty. It's one of the better, like, late 90s horror movies, and there were a bunch and it's very simple, like but it's lots movies. of fun. Yeah, it's lots of fun and uh, an expansive and entertaining cast. Oh, yeah, I would say great cast. I mean, you heard all those names that I mentioned and they're all from something in somewhere. I love it. I know you do. <laughs> I like it. I will say I really do. I like it a lot. I think it is one of the better teen horror movies from the late 90s. So much fun. It is. It's. A lot of fun. It just every once in a while it'll slow down and you're like, what's why? But yeah. then it gets it gets good again. So And it's certainly well. not without its flaws. No. But yeah, I like it a lot. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, I'm sure it's low. I would guess like a 63. Try 52. The consensus simply reads, quote, 
ripoff of other sci-fi thrillers, end quote. Not an homage. And I'm thinking ripoff is an ugly word for homage. Like they specifically call out the movies that they're referencing. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to pass it off as their own ideas or anything like that. Nope. It's absolutely like, no, we are talking like they call out Invasion of the Body Snatchers and all these other movies and stories where... Yeah, we're doing the thing that you know, but in a new setting, mm -hmm. in a new style. That's yes. what's important about this. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they just call it a ripoff is harsh, Ty. Way <laughs> harsh. And a Metacritic of 61, but a cinema score of a B. Good. Yeah. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 98. Holy fuck. I could never give it a 98. Ever. Justify it that it's more than just nostalgia. I could watch this movie over and over again. It is so much fun. The characters are all stereotypes, and I don't care. You know exactly what their arc is going to be, and I don't care. They are all just very attractive. Well, most of them are attractive, uh, and I don't care. And it's a very simple story, but it's a fun. it's a fun teenage version of... Of the thing. And it came out at the perfect time for me. And I love Josh Hartnett. What do you want? I will just say that that puts it at the number four movie. Out of all the movies we've seen, this is number four. Only three movies surpass it. Interview with the Vampire, Poltergeist, and Rosemary's Baby. I'm not telling you to change it. I'm just letting this sink in to the, the listeners and to you. Just how highly you regard this film. That's more than Silence of the Lambs, Seven, Aliens, Terminator 2. But this is not, I am not giving this a really high score because I think it is an incredible film, a piece of art. Uh, I'm not giving right. this a really high like, credits because like, it's the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. Right. This is. It's a personal score. Pure joy. Yeah. Uh-huh. I watch this and I'm happy. And that doesn't happen very often. It's fair. This movie makes me very, very happy. This will absolutely show up on an end of the year list and not because I disliked it. I mean, I'm going to give this an 82, which I feel is reasonable and actually maybe a little bit high. <laughs> but it's still going to show up on our end of year list of biggest differences between Kelsey Fine, and Fine, I will give No, 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 no. I do not want you to change it. I'm just, it's just remarkable to me. I, I think it's interesting because especially since normally I'm the one that gives higher scores to movies. So if you have not seen The Faculty, you should see it. And for those of you that have seen The Faculty... Like, I think maybe you'll understand just why I think there is a very particular class of film horror movie watcher. Like, I would put you in this category. I would put, like, Chickapedia in this category. Like, I imagine that she loves this movie. I hope Jeffrey loves this movie. I wonder <laughs> why else he would recommend it. I really, really like this movie. I think it's give good. It give it a 98. That's fine. You're making me feel like I shouldn't own it. I love it. I would make a big deal out of any movie I give 100 to. I really, really love it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and keep in mind, Kelsey's only given out one 100 the entire life of this podcast. I think that's cool. I think that's cool. I mean, she did say that, that she could watch it any time and she could talk about it without even having seen it recently, just like Interview with a Vampire, mm -hmm. which is the next 
movie up on your list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Wow. That's exciting. Number six, 2014's What We Do in the Shadows has a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes, which is well earned, a 90 and a 92 from us, respectively. Very good movie. Oh, my gosh. Taika Waititi. Oh, my gosh. Taika Waititi is so good. Uh Uh-huh. He is so... He's just... He's a comic genius. He's so good. Just everything is brilliant from him in that movie. And... And you pair him up with Jermaine Clement. Yeah, I know you love him. (laughs) I like him. You like him and his David Bowie. (laughs) (laughs) You look a lot like Jermaine. No... I'm David Bowie. I do. I do like his David <laughs> Bowie impression. It's just, it's it's so good. And if you've seen Dracula and Interview with the Vampire and all these other, like, horror movie classics, Nosferatu, like, there is something for you here and it is hilarious. Yes, if you are a vampire fan, this is for you. And it still has heart, which is good. Right there, there's still <laughs> there's still emotions, you know. There's still people dealing yes, with real you drama. Care about them, but they, it's very silly. Remember the story of the love of his life? Yes, and it's weird. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious, but it's really sweet. Everyone's really happy. Well, let's hear what we had to say at the time about 2014's "What We Do in the Shadows." Everyone, a wakey, wakey. We're gonna have a little flat meeting in the kitchen. Okay. When you get the four vampires in a flat, obviously there's going to be a lot of tension. We'll do my dishes. Hello, ladies. Vladislav used to be extremely powerful. He would kill anybody, burning everything. It was totally great. This is my torture chamber. Great orgies. 20, 30 women. He could hypnotize crowds of people. See me. See me. Hi, my name is Nick. I've been a vampire for two months. The neighbors can see you flying around. You want to draw attention to this house, hmm? You've got a whole documentary crew following you around. Ooh, bad bad I can smell werewolves. Why hey. don't you go smell your own crutches, huh? Oh, bitch. Go yeah. swear. Yeah. What are we? Werewolves, not swearwolves. private secret society, mate. You don't go bringing your bloody cameras into everything. You will not eat the camera guy. Maybe one camera guy. We're just responding to reports of a rather large amount of shrieking. Smells a bit weird in here, too. What do you call that? Barbecue. Should people watch What We Do in the Shadows? Yeah, I thought it was great. Absolutely. I thought it was very if you're, good. If you're listening to this show and you haven't seen it, you should see it. It didn't make me like laugh out loud a ton, but it's extremely clever 
Yeah. And just every line, it is very clever. And so, like, like I said, maybe I'm not sitting there, like, guffawing the whole time, but it is making, it's making me laugh like a madman inside my head. Yeah. And it kept my attention the entire film. I wanted to watch the entire thing. I was never like, this is taking too long. I'm it's bored. also very sweet in a funny way. There's some interesting stuff that happens, like, intellectually. Like, of course, they tackle the tropes, you know, but they start they start to, like, investigate things like, oh, if this was real life, how would this actually play out? You know, how would you keep your place clean? You know, things like that. But also the relationships that they have. We have getting into clubs because we need to be invited, invited in. <laughs> yes. All that stuff is great. Stu, the human that they just fall in love with, who, by the way... His entire filmography, his real name is Stu. His entire filmography is the original short, this movie, and Boy, uh, which is a Taika Waititi movie. Uh, and that's it, because he's not an actor. He's literally like an IT guy. It's like what he does. <laughs> so I thought that that was really, uh, that's really funny. The, the relationships that they have are really evocative. I think. It does a lot of stuff really well and then manages to be funny the entire time, even with the stuff that's like supposed to be either heartbreaking or sweet. It's still funny the entire time. And I think that's what you get when you combine Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. It's just generally a good time. It's a quick and easy watch and you won't regret it. Highly, highly recommend it. It's very good. I highly recommend it. We've covered almost all of the movies that they reference except for the lost boys so what do you think it has on rotten tomatoes kelsey like 79 try a 96 holy shit smarter fresher and funnier than a modern vampire movie has any right to be what we do in the shadows is bloody good fun it has a metacritic of 76 that is insane because interview was so low well you got to keep in mind again we're talking rotten tomatoes you don't have to think it's a superb movie to like it. And I think that's the thing is that everyone just liked it. How much they liked it is another matter, but that's the Metacritic score. So it has an average of 76. It's just very, very popular. Um, it's why they made a spinoff series about it. From two popular comedic New Zealanders. Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. So not too surprised that it is well-beloved. And it's not a small number of reviews. It's like a hundred and something reviews. Got it 96%. So we're not kidding when we say it's worth watching. I'm guessing you think it's overrated, though. Only slightly. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 90. Wow. Wow. I cool. thought it was very funny, very clever. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 92. I liked it a lot. I I also really, really, this is right up my alley. And the thing is, is Kelsey and I don't agree on comedy all that much. We have different comedic tastes. So it's really great when what we do align a lot on, which is horror, and there's comedy that we both like. Like, yeah, this is perfect. It's just for us. So I'm really glad that I finally got to see it because I've just been itching to see this movie for so, so long. So thank you all for, for listening. So I have a reason uh, to finally watch it. Thank you guys. Number five, 2019's Midsummer, which has an 83 Rotten Tomatoes, 91 from you, 93 from me. Yes. Midsummer is an 
excellent film. If you haven't seen it, you need to. Thinking back on it now, how would you compare Midsummer with Hereditary? I think Midsummer is shockingly more enjoyable <laughs> than Hereditary. Yeah, it's not just tear your heart out devastating the way that Hereditary is. Yes. I mean, Midsummer has a lot of shit going on. Yes. Like, a lot of shit. But, yeah, it's not just throwing your heart on the floor and stomping on it yeah. the entire time like Hereditary is. <laughs> I appreciated that. It's sunnier. It, and yes, the aesthetic is wonderful. But I, I mean, it, in more ways than one. Right, I mean, because they're they're in a place where it's daytime most of the day, right? So it's visually sunnier, it's brighter. What time is it? I think it's like nine thirty. That's not okay. <laughs> That's not okay. But also, like emotionally, it's a little bit brighter. It it has a similar sort of look in the face. Does it end on a positive note? Would you moment? say, Chris? I, in, a, in a way, <laughs> yes. Whereas Hereditary ends. In a triumphant moment for our, I guess you could say, antagonists, right? So it's a less devastating movie <laughs> than Hereditary, I think is the best way to, to, to compare the two. Let's hear what we had to say at the time about 2019's Midsummer. I told you that I want to go to that festival in Sweden. No, you said it would be cool to go. Yeah, and then I got the opportunity and I decided Look, I to do it. I don't mind you going. I just wish you would have told me. That's all. Dude, she needs a therapist. You've been wanting out of this stupid relationship for like a year now. And don't forget about all of the beautiful Swedish women you'll meet in June. Okay, guys. That's not her again. Seriously? Babe, what's happening? Danny. I was so very sorry to hear about what happened. I'm sorry. I invited Danny to come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through? Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. Unbelievable. Welcome and happy midsummer. School! What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. <laughs> How long have you two been together? Just over three and a half years. Four years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. <laughs> what am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? I don't know why you invited us. That's why you look so guilty right now, because you know. We only do this every 90 years. I was most excited for you to come. Should people watch Midsummer? Twice. Yes. Yes. I think this movie held up just as much on the second viewing and 
even though I did notice that there were new things in this version, it did not feel one second longer than the theatrical cut. A hundred percent. I highly recommend you watch the director's cut because it will change a lot of things. For me, it changed the context of a lot of things, and I feel like it more aptly shows what the director was trying to say. I just want more Ari Aster in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, people talk about how, oh, the big difference was he was trying to get down from an NC-17, so he cut out all the gore. There's still gore enough in the theatrical cut. It doesn't really feel like this version is more gory. Not really. I mean, we get to see what happens to a couple of the bodies that we didn't get to see in the original cut, but other than that, I I wouldn't say there was gore. I would say it's more more relationship Mm -hmm. and psychological shit that he took out. I think this movie is very good. I think it is a scary look into cult culture, and at the same time, it's a scary look into our culture and, and what how we, we respond well. to these sort of external cultures that seem weird to us mm-hmm. and, you know, our expansionist sort of tendencies that we have in the West. And yeah, or what should I say? What's the term? It's West is not a good term. Yeah, anyway. That we feel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all think? pretty fucked up all around, I'd say. I liked it better the second time around. I liked the director's cut better than the theatrical cut. Mm-hmm. I like that better, too. It's just a just a superb success of a movie. Just everything is so well done. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. All the head nods. I thought it was beautiful. I think that it, it is, yes, it is three hours. It feels like a two-hour movie. It does. It's just visually stunning and perfect. Visually beautiful. Visually stunning. The colors, the composition, the design of the buildings, the costuming, the practical effects. Shout out to Hacks and Cloak, which is a a composer slash band I really like who did some of the music or a song. So there's some goth cred there. (laughs) And... (laughs) Ari Aster is amazing. And the writing is incredible. And the acting is incredible. And... Yeah, the psychedelia is very realistic. I just, I really hit it out of the park for me. I really have nothing to complain about. And you know, guys, it was Jesse who told me to watch it originally. You can count on me. <laughs> so with that in mind, what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? It better have a, a solid 90 at least. Kelsey? I'm going to go even higher. I'm going to guess it has like a 95. Yeah, I, I agree. It has an 83. Holy shit! Oh, man. Ambitious, impressively crafted, and above all, unsettling, Midsummer further proves writer-director Ari Aster is a horror auteur to be reckoned with. A Metacritic of 72, and, ooh, the one that you probably could have predicted, a CinemaScore of C+. Jesus. Well, I mean, it's not a... Cinema score. (laughs) It's not a... It's not a... uh, It's when people walk out. Mother. Out the door. Yeah, it's it's surveys of people leaving the theater. I'm sure that a lot of people didn't like this movie when they first saw it. I mean, it's it's no mother that got an F. Oh, yeah. Well, mother kind of deserves an F. But it's it's along those lines where it's like, this is too artsy-fartsy, it was too long. Right. What the yes. hell was I watching? Yeah. No, of course people are going to walk away with that. And a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people were like, that was supposed to be a horror movie? What yeah. was scary yeah. about that? Nobody goes. There was the badass yeah. scene where that guy gets his face smashed in. Oh, yeah. You know, and there's so like, there's there's those moments, but the rest of this was 
was it was a bunch of looking at the sky and yeah, I've heard a lot of people like <laughs> I didn't get it. It was weird. <laughs> this isn't this isn't to put people that didn't like it down. I totally get it. This just yeah. seems made for me. I thought it was beautiful and interesting and well acted and well written and yeah and definitely liked the extended version more Mm -hmm. so underrated yes 100 percent. what would you give it oh god it's like a 98 or 99 for me it's pick one i'll say 90 99 99 98 because i'm like can't decide which comes first hereditary or midsummer that's something else to discuss another day Speaking of, just how does it compare? So, Hereditary had a Rotten Tomatoes of eighty nine at the time that we watched it, Mm -hmm. and we both gave it a ninety. So, Kelsey, what do you think this movie should get? I thought I gave a higher score to Hereditary. I'm gonna give this a ninety one because I think it's so beautiful and just magnetizing. That's a good word. I was tempted to give this a 95. I'm kind of surprised that Hereditary is a 90 and not a little higher than that. It does a different thing. Mm -hmm. It captures the realness of the family drama just so fucking well. I think my problem with both of these films, but that this one is even more so. Neither one, I know I just said this, is... You know, terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you, you don't watch this and you're not like screaming and, you know, covering your eyes, right? You're going to have a hard time thing. sleeping, but for a different reason. Mm-hmm. Not because you were terrified. Right. <laughs> but hereditary is psychologically dreadful. And this is even more so. Interesting. This is more so because this takes you out of, at least in hereditary, you're in your own environment the whole time. This completely takes you out of anything that Uh seems normal, feels normal, sounds normal. And because of that, you're put on the defensive because you're the outsider, you know? Right. So, like, that makes it even more uncomfortable. Hereditary is about inherited baggage, right? And... This is about, I think, the power and impact of, like, the word you used before, zealotry, mm-hmm. and large groups of people who feel strongly enough about something yeah. can cause some real fucking damage. I mean, that's what happens in Hereditary, but this just feels more, they can do whatever they want to you, there's no escape, you right. are in Well, in that, land. nothing would have happened if... Her mother hadn't gotten them into it. It's it's very specifically trauma passed down through generations, right? This isn't that. Mm-hmm. Right. That was thrust upon them. This was done by choice. And I think that's a little bit sure. scarier here. So 91, you think? Yeah. I'm going to go. I think I do like this better than Hereditary. Um, but like, it, 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 don't read too much into that. I l- sure, love Hereditary. It's also more visually pleasing. <laughs> no, it's gorgeous. I don't like when the dad catches fire in Hereditary. Yes. It's a pretty great moment. Yes, and I love the very end sequence with the headless body that like uh-huh. levitates up into that. It looks very cool. Oh Remember man, the when head, she saws the, her own head off. Yes. Head we just saw. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. I'm going to go 93. Nice. 93. Okay, so I'll settle with a 98. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Time for my top 10, except for the top four, because those are our top four as well. (laughs) So this is just going to be all the same movies? (laughs) 
let's just real quick. Uh, one that did not make the list uh, because you gave it a 63, 2008's Lake Mungo, <laughs> which we talked about last week. So listen to last week's episode if you want to know more about that, which is also tied with House from 1977, which also didn't make the list because you gave it an 81. But that's a stellar movie as well. What did you give it? I gave it a 90. These are all 90s for me. It It just... It was too much. It's too much. <laughs> In 1933's King Kong, I also gave a 90. And she gave an 84. 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula, I gave 91. Tied for sixth place are Frankenstein and What We Do in the Shadows, which we already talked about. Fifth place with 93 was Midsummer. And then I can't tell you what my 4, 3, 2, or 1 is. They're not in the same order as our list. Uh But I don't want to reveal anything ahead of time. Okay. So let's go into number four. 1984's Ghostbusters, which has a 97 Rotten Tomato score, or at least did when we reviewed it. We both gave it a 95. Uh, Interestingly, with Ghostbusters being in our top 10, that means Jennifer Runyon is in both our top 10 and bottom 10 from 2021. Way to go, Jennifer. <laughs> she, for you listeners out there, was Nancy from To All a Good Night, sort of our final girl from that movie. Way to run the gamut. <laughs> she wasn't the worst part about that movie. <laughs> but Ghostbusters is Ghostbusters. I mean, come on. It's so, so good. If you have an argument as to why it is not good, I'd be curious to hear why anyone doesn't like this movie. Right. But the other three movies we thought were better. So before we get into that discussion, let's hear what we had to say about 1984's Ghostbusters. Ghosts. Hello, Ghostbusters. They're real. You do? You have? They're here. <laughs> They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. They're armed. They're dangerous. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. All right, that's bad. Okay, all right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. They're professionals. Oh, I'm the chairman of the largest paranormal removal company in America. stands between you and the end of the world. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. Real wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. You want this body? Is this a trick question? Ghostbusters. Starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis. Coming to save the world. Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters. Should people watch Ghostbusters? Yes, obviously. (laughs) Obvi. Of course. It's Ghostbusters. Yes. Of course you should watch Ghostbusters. Yes. I mean, there's kind of nothing more to say about that. (laughs) I love this movie and I could go on and on, but I think that is good. Right. Agreed. What do you think this movie has 
on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? I assume it's 100. It is 97. Whoever said it wasn't good can suck There it. are two negative reviews. So first of all, the consensus is an infectiously fun blend of special effects and comedy with Bill Murray's hilarious deadpan performance leading a cast of great comic turns. Metacritic of 71. So I was curious. I'm like, who wrote negative reviews of Ghostbusters? Mm-hmm. I can understand if you don't think it's a perfect movie. There are problems with the movie. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect. Mm-hmm. But how you could walk away going, I didn't like it, is just, it was baffling to me. So I wanted to find out who it was. And it was Variety and the New York Times. Okay. Variety called it only intermittently impressive. And a review that they just don't have online anymore, or at least that I couldn't find. I don't know if they're embarrassed by it or what. Probably just wasn't archived. Mm-hmm. And the New York Times said there is more attention to special effects than to humor. Wow, that's a bunch of bullshit. (laughs) Right? (laughs) The special effects are shit. But it was a weird sort of movie. A movie like this, like a comedy with this big a budget, with this much special effects, it just did not exist. And so people were all like, what are they doing? This is supposed to be a comedy. It's supposed to be low budget. Uh, Laugh a minute, you know? Like, what is this? Ghosts? What the fuck? What's this mm-hmm. gate to another dimension? What's going on here? Well, it's great. Yeah, it kind of changed what could be done in comedy. It was a huge franchise. I mean, I had a buddy who had like every one of the toys. <laughs> it was great. And it was big enough that they ended up making a cartoon out of the original Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. But the only problem, really, aside from some of the cringy jokes, is that... It's not scary at all. Yeah. I mean, I think especially one of the moments that people cite as being very scary is the librarian in the beginning. Like, it's spooky, and then she turns and screams. But immediately, they cut to, like, this comic beat where they're all screaming and running, and then there's a jazzy comedic tune playing as they're running out of the building. Exactly as I say. Get ready. Ready? Get her! Like, they immediately diffuse what could be terrifying with slapstick, which Mm -hmm. is a little weird. There are only a few slapstick moments in this movie. Whereas 2 goes into horror. Yes. Into horror territory. I agree. I agree. There are a lot of moments that are legitimately terrifying Mm -hmm. in number 2. So do you think that 97 is overrated or underrated, Kelsey? I think it's pretty much, I mean, I was probably going to give it a 95. I'd say it's definitely 90s. It's not 100 for me. No, because there's For you, 100 just, means perfect. For me, 100 is the highest recommendation I can give something. Uh, there are just, there are jokes that Bill Murray makes that are, I'm just like, oh my God, like he's hitting on students, which is really uncomfortable. Yeah. He makes really, he, you know- Asks her if she's on the librarian if she's on her period. Um, he makes very inappropriate jokes towards Sigourney Weaver. You know, like mostly towards women. He's just kind uh-huh. of an asshole. 
I mean, he's an asshole towards men, but you don't really care. Like, he doesn't do it in a creepy way. It's not creepy when he does it to to men. Yeah, it's it's creepy and sexualized when he does it to women. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think that that's... I mean, it doesn't ruin the movie by any stretch. I just don't know if I should give it 95 or 97. I think I will give it a 95. Okay. I think 95 is great. This is a spectacular film. Yes. In so many ways, it hits every single nail directly on the head. And you got to remember also that the, the special effects are garbage. Yes. That's the, I, that's the other reason why I don't think I could give it 100. There are special effects that take you out of it and not in a way where it's like, I can't take this comedy seriously. Or <laughs> it's just like, oh, no, that's bad. Yeah. Uh, Things didn't age well. And I understand it was different when you were seeing it for the first time in the theaters. Mm -hmm. But we're not seeing it for the first time in the theaters. Mm -hmm. We're we're grading it now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I think a 95. It's that good that it overcomes all that, you know, shitty stuff. It's so good. Rick Moranis is so fucking amazing in this movie. And if he's not in the new one, I'm going to be upset. Okay, Kelsey, to be fair... I like Ghostbusters more than I liked our number four. But you love our number four. Yeah. Uh-huh. 1994's Interview with a Vampire. Oh, yes. <laughs> I gave it a 94, which is an incredibly good score. Of course, I gave we both gave Ghostbusters a 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you gave Interview with a Vampire a 99. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. It's near to perfect. It is. Which is saying something because Kelsey did, in fact, give one movie a 100 this year. And it's our number one. Ooh. <laughs> I didn't remember giving a 100. Yeah, you did. She doesn't often. Because generally to Kelsey, she thinks that you have to be perfect to get a 100 but i think over the years i've sort of worn her down on that issue (laughs) where it's just the highest possible accolades you can give something not necessarily a testament to its perfection so well interview with the vampire is so close to being perfect there's just a few things that they could have, you know, and there's some things that like it's it was a product of its time it's from the 90s like you can talk shit about the effects but like they're doing their best (laughs) doing their best man (laughs) it's very very good love 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 interview with a vampire kirsten dunst you're my hero yeah i can see why especially when it came out Mm -hmm. and you were like seven (laughs) that's right you show that to a seven that's right (laughs) because these parents showed interview with a vampire to a (laughs) seven-year-old They never listen to this show. We don't worry about it. Remember, my brother, uh huh, was (laughs) twelve. Yep. Uh huh. Just you know, cover your eyes when we get to the topless bits. For some reason, that's the more offensive thing to show kids. (laughs) Anyway, let's hear what we had to say at the time about 1994's interview with the vampire. Oh, what do you say we get started? So you want me to tell you the story of my life? I'll tell you my story. I'll tell you all of it. I'm flesh and blood, but not human. I haven't been human for 200 years. 
from the novel by Anne Rice. From Neil Jordan, the director of The Crying Game. I've come to answer your prayers. Life has no meaning anymore, does it? His name is Lestat. What if I could give it back to you? Pluck out the pain and give you another life. One you could never imagine. He chose one man. He gave him infinite power. Eternal life. And a daughter who would be forever young. And then he took the light of day. You're a vampire. You never knew what life was until it ran out in a red gush over your lips. Take her, Louis. End her suffering and yours. For do not doubt, you are a killer. I want some more. Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Stephen Ray, Antonio Banderas. Kirsten Dunst and Christian Slater. Interview with the Vampire. Should people watch Interview with the Vampire? Yes. Yes. 100% yes. Yes. It is a phenomenal film. It is beautiful. It is incredibly written. I think there were some rewrite passes on it, but Anne Rice gets credit according to Writers Guild rules. It's practically but, exactly the same as the book. Yeah, there are differences, like uh, especially character differences. Yes. But nothing that's really like a huge deal that impacts the plot. No. The good news is, everyone, I read the book a long time ago and I've only read it once, so I don't have tons of information. But I remember when I read it, because you, you have to know that this is one of my all-time favorite films. Yeah. Ever. Like, uh-huh. like Poltergeist, like Rosemary's Baby. So, like, I've seen this movie. I couldn't possibly count how many times I've watched this film. I just remember when I sat down to read the book, I was like, that's pretty much I'm just reading the movie. That's cool. Yeah. I think Brad Pitt is incredibly poorly cast in this movie. Ouch. I think he is the the biggest liability of the entire cast. Ouch. Uh, I like Brad Pitt. I like him in a lot of things, but I don't think his range is exactly spectacular. I think he does fine in this movie. He's okay. <laughs> but if you can't stand his sort of sibilant, almost lispy voice uh, when he tries to be serious and soft, you will hate him in this movie. Doesn't bother me. He does bit. it so much. He sounds so stupid trying to do an almost accent, and it's the thing I hate the most about this movie. Hilarious, because Tom Cruise's accent bothers me way more. I don't mind Tom Cruise at all. His R's are just, oh my god! Who told you that British people pronounce their R's that way? They fucking don't. But he's not British. He kind of gets a British accent, though. He's putting on. (laughs) But yes, you should watch this movie. Are you kidding me? It's so good. If you hate poetic language and you don't like some emo shit, you might not be as enamored by it, but it's really fucking good. It's very good. This movie is utterly fantastic. 99%. So close to being 100. Well, now that we're talking about ratings, we've 
droned on and on about the movie. I guess there, there's nothing else we want to say about it, right? It's amazing. Okay. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Like an 83. Try 63. <gasps> Despite lacking some of the book's subtler shadings. Oh my God. And suffering from some clumsy casting. Oh my God. Interview with a vampire. Oh no. <laughs> benefits from Neil Jordan's atmospheric direction and a surfeit of gothic thrills. Metacritic of 59. But a cinema score of B+, that seems much more reasonable. That seems much more realistic, yes. But from the reviewer perspective, Fuck the professional em. reviewer, it's on the positive side, but not great. Underrated, no. definitely, right? Extremely underrated. What do you think it should, what, what would you give it? I'm giving it a 99. All right. It is so close to being 100. It is so, so close. There's just the tiniest little things. Like when he fights, I, I, I kind of said it doesn't make sense when he fights all the vampires, how easy it is mm -hmm. that he just kills them all. Specifically, there's a scene th the very end when he kills the guy buffoon. Um, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any fucking sense. He Brad Pitt has a scythe. Yeah, from their stage play. <laughs> and he's ready to kill the guy. The guy knows he wants to kill him. He really quickly, you know, he does the fast vampire movement, gets right in front of Brad Pitt, and then And Brad Pitt just swings. Yeah. There? Brad Pitt swings and chops him. It's like you knew he was going to go for that and you didn't react. You yeah, didn't try to prevent it. The direction there was a little like, what? <laughs> what just yeah. happened? But. Yeah. I'll give it a 94. It's poetic. It was released in 94. Ah. But I think it's absolutely 90s level as far as a rating is concerned. This movie is so good. The acting, I'm sorry. I think the acting is great. I think that Tom Cruise does a great job. I think Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt does is, a fine job. I'm not saying that he's as good as Tom Cruise, but it's I his think voice he's that fine. I just can't stand in this movie. I just can't stand it. Kirsten Dunst is incredible. She is incredible. Antonio Banderas is fine. It's totally fine. I just think it is such a fascinating look at this mm -hmm. creature that we have developed as this evil, scary thing. What if he's just a human who's been fucked over? Yeah, they're just these incredibly evocative visuals, scenes, characters, dialogue, themes. It's like it just does so much right that you could just overlook all the things that are that you're like, eh. you know? <laughs> it's just really easy to overlook that stuff. Uh, just because of everything that it does right. Coming in at number two, one we just watched, 1993's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yay! Which has a 95 on Rotten Tomatoes. You gave it a 99. Dun, I gave it a 98. We're big fucking theater dorks. <laughs> and musical theater thereof. And... We love Danny Elfman. 80s and 90s Tim Burton, and we love Danny Elfman, and we love so many elements that go into this. And I love all the things about this that are not Tim Burton as well. Yeah, all the things that other people did all in spite of Tim Burton. All the things that other people did and, and, and put in there. I mm -hmm. appreciated that. However, I have to admit, he was right about the ending. He was right about the end. Well, we don't know what Caroline's ending would have been. Mm. So she did not say. She just said she wanted to change it, and he 
destroyed an editing bay. <laughs> but, oh, God. I love that movie. It's it's a sort of movie that we could really watch any time, and we force ourselves to watch it during one three-month window of October, November, and December. <laughs> and it's why we always ensure that we at least go to Disneyland during that window, mm-hmm. assuming it's open, mm-hmm. so we can go on the Haunted Mansion with Of course, that and you can do that in September as well. It opens in September? Halloween time starts in September. Interesting. So it lasts for two months, and then Christmas time lasts from November... Through like the first week or two of January, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, what do you guys care? You don't live in Southern California. Well, some of you do, I'm sure. It's just a great movie, and it's a great time, and it's a great aesthetic, and great well-written music, and characters you could root for, and lines you can quote, and it's just all around great. And I don't think you're going to hear any different from us. But let's still hear what we had to say about 1993's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Welcome to an extraordinary world filled with magic and wonder. Open your mind and let yourself go to a place where every day is Halloween and every night Jack Skellington I am the Pumpkin King! Dreams of something different. What is this? It's someplace new. Jack, look out! What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This is a What is this? Haven't you heard of peace on earth and goodwill toward men? <laughs> Touchstone Pictures presents the enchanting story of two very special dreamers and the holiday spirit that brought them together. From the imagination of Tim Burton comes The Nightmare Before Christmas. And what did Santa bring you, honey? Should people watch The Nightmare Before Christmas? Yes. I mean, come on. 100% yes. <laughs> this is one of those great movies that even if you're not a big animation fan, you can still watch it. If you're not a big musical fan, you can still watch it. If you are more into horror than you are into Christmas, you can still watch it. If you're not into horror at all, but you love Christmas, you can still watch it. <laughs> There's basically no reason why you shouldn't be watching this movie. Exactly. I could go on and on, so I'm not going to. We make a list of all the Christmas movies we want to watch every year. And we don't get to all of them. There are some that we go multiple years in between seeing. Because we have a very long list. Yes. But Nightmare Before Christmas is every single year. Yes. And when we can, we go out and we see it in like the 40 Theater in LA. Or like we did at the Hollywood Bowl that time. Or there's like a pop-up bar or whatever. Like we'll do those sorts of things because it is... A must-watch every single Christmas. Yes. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? It better be fucking high. Okay. What would you guess? I'm going to guess like 79. It has a 95. Holy shit! Awesome. The Nightmare Before Christmas is a stunningly original and visually delightful work of stop-motion animation. But I thought it didn't do 
well when it came out. Well, this is kind of a wide swath of reviews. Mm. It's not just when it came out. Okay. But even still, like, if it it didn't do well, it made its money back, but not much more than that. It did, like, $50 million or something like that. It, like, doubled its budget, which is good, but it's kind of modest in the, in the actual also, total numbers. As far as I know, they didn't do a lot of... Marketing for marketing it. For yeah. Him. Now, it really wasn't until they wanted to take advantage of the home market that they really, really started leaning into it. And then when it was very successful there, then they started putting it in their stores and in their parks. And then it got even bigger. Uh, so it has a Metacritic of 82, though. And while that doesn't put it in its in the top 100 or even 200 Metacritic ratings, it is considered uh, what Metacritic calls universal acclaim. Uh, and it has a cinema score of a B plus. Who the fuck is walking out of this giving it a C or a D or an F? Mm-hmm. Grinches is who. Exactly. How it's not an A or an A plus when you walk out of that theater. How you don't feel great having watched the movie. I don't understand. So if you are one of those people, feel free to tweet us mm-hmm. at Pod Cemetery and let us know that you actually hate it. And that's fine. We will disagree, but I'd love to hear what your perspective is. What would you give it, Kelsey? I'm going to give it a 99. Why a 99? Why so close to 100, but not 100? Look, like I said, I understand that this is super emo. I get it. Emo kids, it was made for emo kids. I get that. But those songs, they just, they, they screeching halt to the momentum of the film. Both times. Um, Which songs? Not so much the first one. Which songs? When he's walking around feeling sad in the um, oh. in the forest, but really like grinding halt when he's in the cemetery at the end. And I get that you love that song, and there are certain things about it that <sighs> I really like. Like I said, <laughs> it's my it's my favorite to sing in my car alone. <laughs> You'll find me in the on the freeway just singing loudly. But what the heck I went and did my best. It's so good. Understood. Interestingly, that's the way I felt about Sally's song, which I know is one of your favorites. It is one of my favorites. It's funny that I love the Jack song and you love the Sally song. We're not those couples that are like, I'm Jack and she's Sally. Like, no, it's not us. <laughs> But that is kind of funny that I gravitated towards the Jack and you gravitated towards the Sally. Because when I was young and first watched this movie, it was, to me, just a, just the whole movie came to a grinding halt. So we can sing a song about a sad girl who wasn't even that big a part of the movie really anyway. <laughs> and it, so it wasn't until, you know, I became an adult and I started to be able to appreciate more those sorts of things. that I actually really like the song now. But originally, that was that was my one song that I was like, eh, I can skip it. I could skip. Poor Jack. Poor Jack. <laughs> like I said, there are parts I really like about it. I love... <laughs> no one really understood. Well, how could they? I love, I love that he's talking to himself. And for a moment, why? I even touched the sky. But no, as a kid, I hated that song. Oh, man. I like him a lot better now. So fucking good. Uh, I'd probably give it a 98, I think. Why 98? Um, I could theoretically give this 100. I would understand why people might not like it. It's like very made for 
us like you like you say it's made for emo kids but it was before emo was a thing <laughs> so it kind of fed into that like it is almost like a precursor it is a little bit mopey which is fine but that's you know the way people really feel uh and there are some small minor decisions that i would uh, that i could be uh nitpicky on so i don't know that i would say i would probably recommend this to literally everyone and if you didn't like it, I wouldn't challenge you on that. <laughs> Versus some of the hundreds that I've given out, I would fucking challenge you on it if you said you didn't like it, right? <laughs> like, no, you are wrong. Your opinion is wrong. <laughs> but on this one, eh, if it's just not your thing, I can understand that. And I have that little gap between, like, certainty that this is a perfect movie or it's as close to perfect as necessary. But it's fantastic. It's fucking great. So good. Yeah. All right. Before we get into our number one, let's hear Kelsey's top ten. And I've already sort of revealed that her number one is our number one. Mm -hmm. So we'll go right into our number one from there. Kelsey's top ten, starting with a tie for 10th place at 88, Frankenstein from 1931. Okay. Psycho 2 from 1983. Really? And Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. Now, Psycho 2 almost made our top 10. Uh, it got really, really close. If we were to add it to the rankings, it would have been number 11. Like, wow. it just barely missed our top 10. Wow. We thought it was actually really good. I know. I remember liking it. I'm just surprised it's that high. Yeah. I mean, thinking back, it's like, no, that was actually pretty well done. And I think he did a great job and the concept was really good. And remember when he just hit that lady with a shovel out of nowhere? That was great. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten about that. All right, moving on to the rest of your top 10 list. Uh, number seven, What We Do in the Shadows. Number six, Midsummer. All This is Starting to Look Familiar. Number five, Ghostbusters. Number four with 98 is The Faculty. <laughs> Number three with 99, sorry, tied for second place with 99, Nightmare Before Christmas and Interview with the Vampire. But there was one movie Kelsey liked most of all and enough to give a 100. I think it's more out of respect than anything. Possibly. 1954's Rear Window. Oh, yeah. Which you gave a 100 and I gave a 99. I it's would say so it's not good. my favorite Al Alfred Hitchcock movie, but it is right up there. It is so, so good. Like, stupendously good. Yeah. And they, the way they managed to wring the suspense out of just sitting in this one room for the entire movie is... Well, it's the direction is yeah. incredible. Mm -hmm. And again, it's kinetic energy. It's always, something is always happening on uh -huh. screen. Which is what I'm looking for. <laughs> but it also satisfies me in a way, too, because it tells a suspenseful story over time in a way that it's very patient about. Unlike, say, a Disturbia, which isn't nearly as good, even though it tries to be a modern day rear window. I liked Disturbia. I'm not saying Disturbia is bad. <laughs> I gave it a 73. As a matter of fact, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> you gave it a 76. But it is ranked number 33 on our list. On your list, sorry. 
Yeah, I mean, Rear Window, I mean, it's got an incredible cast. Of course, it's Alfred Hitchcock. The writing is great. The costumes are great. I can't think of any, well, okay, I can think of one thing. It's a little unbelievable that he wouldn't just shut his eyes. Right, yeah, <laughs> he just kept blinding him with the flash. But flashes back then were blinding, man. Well, of course. <laughs> and even if you had your eyes shut, you'd probably be able to see the bright mm. lights. And really all it takes is the one time. Because right. the one time, uh -huh. you would just have But that's spots. like the one complaint about the movie. And if I remember correctly, that might have been what happened, is I was like, I might have finally broken you. Because <laughs> you know how much I say, I don't want to like shame you into lowering your score, which is why I didn't have you correct your faculty score. That said, I hate that you don't give out hundreds, <laughs> which is really ironic because I didn't give out a single 100 this year. Really? As a matter of fact, I gave three zeros. You gave one 100 and one zero. Wow. Yeah. So you were the kinder raider between us. Interesting, <laughs> which is not normal no. at least at the extremes i think as you get closer to the center i tend to grade a little bit higher than you but yeah that's interesting i think well let's hear what we had to say at the time about our number one movie that we watched in 2021 1954's rear window this is the apartment of a man named jeffries a news photographer whose beat used to be the world right now his world has shrunk down to the size of this window He's been watching the people across the way. Nobody seems to pull their blinds during a hot spell like this. He knows a lot about them by now. Too much, perhaps. First, I watched them just to kill time, but then I couldn't take my eyes off them, just as you won't be able to. And you won't be able to take your eyes off the glowing beauty of Grace Kelly, who shares the heart and curiosity of James Stewart in this story of a romance shadowed by the terror of a horrifying secret. Should people watch Rear Window? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a very good movie. I agree. There's kind of this battle in my mind of my favorite Hitchcock movies. And I haven't seen all of them. I think I mentioned here before that I tried watching. Like, I have seen all the silent ones. And that's about as far as I got into his. Because he has, like, 52 movies that are that you can still get that he's ever directed. So I started from the beginning and I was like, oh, I can watch one a week. And I didn't get too far. But I watched like all of his silent films. And uh, so there's a lot of movies by Hitchcock that I haven't actually seen. But this is absolutely one of my favorites. I mean, of course, there's Psycho. And of course, there's Vertigo. And I think Vertigo might be my favorite. But it's been a long time since I've seen it. But this one is up there. I really, really like it. I think you should definitely see it. For me... Rear Window, Psycho, I love the birds. Even though nobody wants to listen to our episode about the birds, I love the birds. Yeah, the birds is good, but it's not like, I don't know, I just feel like there's top tier filmmaking at work in like those movies specifically that I mentioned. Well, Dial M for Murder is fantastic. It's really, really good, but it strikes me as just, yeah, I think we mentioned it, like he's just sort of filming a play. You know, because that's exactly what it is. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I I would love to see that movie on stage. 
but this like really really skillful they they went above and beyond it was the largest indoor set ever made at the time uh and it was so big that they had to actually remove the floor of the studio and build it in the basement up and so when you're looking at the ground floor and all those cars are driving by and stuff like that, that's actually the basement of the studio building. How funny. Yeah. And so they remove the entire floor and then, yeah, just that's so they cool. could fit all these buildings in there. And they had elaborate uh, lighting rigs set up where, you know, in less than an hour they would change from, you know, morning to night or whatever. Because they were all set up and everything was in-house. And it was actually, it's kind of a cool thought how much effort went into this. It's so good. It is a wonderful story of paranoia. Gets your heart pumping. Every time she's in danger, you're like, oh, God. Oh, yeah. Uh When he is- You don't want anything bad to happen to Grace Kelly. You do not want anything bad to happen to Grace Kelly. She is amazing. And she's so beautiful. And she's so much fun. And uh, Jimmy Stewart is great every time. Even though they try to play him off as being young, Stella calls him a young man. And it's like there's less than a decade between the two of you. (laughs) There's a bigger gap between him and her than between him and Stella. Yes. Yeah. So like. And um, people talk about that, about the age difference between the two and how they were like normalizing that women have to be young and men age gracefully or whatever. But he does. But, I mean, that's, He's Jimmy Stewart. Well, but he yeah, aged but, gracefully. <laughs> I mean, there was a time when it was mm-hmm. n- everybody expected older gentlemen to marry young ladies. Right, like but, that was. But I mean, think expected. about think about It's a Wonderful Life. When he plays the younger version of himself and he's like a college football player, a high school football player, and it's fucking Jimmy Stewart, full grown (laughs) older man (laughs) in a football uniform. Yeah. Anyway, very, very good. Very tense. Very inventive. The set's so creative. The audio is incredible because, like I said, it's except for the very, very beginning of the movie. All of the music is diegetic from Dave or from radios, and that's it. Yeah, the whole world feels very real and alive with having all the different neighbors doing all sorts of different things. You can see down the alleyway, cars are driving by. They do a really good job of that. Like, you know it's a set, but it's a very impressive one. Yes. Yeah. Times when we had sets. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I like it a whole hell of a lot. It's one of my favorite Hitchcock movies. It is very, very good. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 97? Very close. Is it 100? It's 98. There you go. Hitchcock exerted full potential of suspense in this masterpiece. Metacritic of 100. So they're obviously not using the same reviews that Rotten Tomatoes is using. Because there are two negative reviews. So they can't be an average of 100. But the Metacritic reviews are 100. Do you think that that is overrated or underrated? 98. You know what? I am off the rails this year. I gave faculty 98, which kind of blows my mind when I think about it. That is kind of nuts. And I'm kind of kicking myself for not giving Poltergeist 100 now that I'm about to do this. Mm -hmm. I'll give it 100, even though... It kind of deserves half a point off because it's unbelievable that he would keep walking with his eyes open. That part is literally (laughs) the only part that I'm just like, I don't buy it. Uh Uh-huh. If I would be smart enough to close my eyes, that guy would be smart enough to close his eyes. So 
maybe it should be a 99.5, but I will give it 100 just because I'm off the rails this year. I'm going crazy. Yeah, I, I gave Psycho 100. I can't believe I'm going to do that. I'm going to give it a 99. It's very good. It is an excellent film. It's high. one of my highest recommendations I could get. It is entertaining from start to finish. There is never a slow part. There's never a part where you're like, oh, come on, I don't care about this. Every single part is integral to the story or it is interesting or funny. This is a movie that I would literally recommend to anybody. Yeah. Like, my parents and I, our movie preferences are nothing alike. And I would still say if they haven't seen this movie that they should. Some people might think it's boring because he doesn't go anywhere or do anything. A lot of observing, but not a lot happening. Yeah, But... In if in my opinion, if you walk away from this film thinking it was boring, you weren't paying attention. Yeah, I agree. I think you're absolutely right. Speaking of movies that just didn't quite make our list, a few honorable mentions. We have uh, Tremors, Insidious Chapter 2. We talked about House. We mentioned, but did not talk about its placement, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Those all have 85 or 85 and a half. Oh, very close. Mm -hmm. Kong Skull Island. The Loved Ones was this year. I mentioned King Kong was on my top ten list. Oh, we did The Loved Ones the same year that we did Frankenstein? Yes, so he was in two movies this year. The dude that played Frankenstein and, I guess, The Loved One. (laughs) The Host and Psycho 2. Just barely didn't make our list. So just want to give a shout out to those. Those were also great movies. And I bet even better episodes to listen to if you want to go back and listen to those episodes. Yes, please do. But that is our list. That was our top 10 movies that we watched in 2021. So thank you for taking a look back, a more positive look back on the year in review. Looking forward, Kelsey, what are we watching next week? For the first week of the year. We are kicking off the year with the end of a franchise. We are watching Candyman. That's 1999's Candyman 3, Day of the Dead, and 2021's Candyman, which is, is it a remake? Is it a refresh? Is it a reboot? cool <laughs> we'll find out Remake cool what is it we don't know yet because we haven't seen it we've been waiting to watch it just for this show so looking forward to finally wrapping up the Candyman franchise if they don't make another one i don't know how well this one did i don't know if it did well enough to warrant a sequel but we'll see we'll find out that is next week until then you can always find us on our website podcemetery.com and on Twitter, at Pod Cemetery. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that is listening with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much for giving us another wonderful year working on this show. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? I love funny exiting lines. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. 
You know what ends up happening, I think? What? I think I, like, put shirts on the chair because I'm like, well, I'm taking my shirt off now. But if I go out, if I do anything, for whatever reason, I need to put the shirt on. It's not dirty. I barely wore it. You know, I intend to use it for later. And then it winds up from the chair onto the floor. That's what happens. It's not like I just go, fuck all this. I know it's two feet from the hamper, but fuck you. That's what it feels like. <laughs> so cold. Seriously? That's seriously. Well, let's hear what we had to say at the time about 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, the remake almost made it to our bottom ten. As it should have. <laughs> it was saved by you for some reason. It was okay. It is interview with the vampire, not a vampire. I feel like people don't know, and they just kind of <laughs> let it run together. Yes. Interview with a vampire. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> just so you know, it's the vampire. 